Good morning. Let's open our Bibles today to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue our journey through the book of Galatians. This morning we want to draw your attention, if we can, to verses 22 and 23. And we're just going to kind of hover in those verses and glean from them what the Lord would have for us. So Galatians 5, verse 22, and let me read our text as we begin. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And Father, we just ask that you'd help us now as we continue in our worship. Again, Lord, we just continue to thank you just for the privilege even of having technology in this generation that through this season we have been able to continue to keep worshiping and studying the Word of God together collectively in the format that we have been. Lord, we we sure continue to look to you and ask that soon you would open the doorways more and more that we might once again begin to gradually assemble back together in person. Lord, we're just asking an agreement together that you would continue to give us favor and give us wisdom and knowledge, Lord, how to go about that, Uh, just to chart these waters that we've kind of never navigated before. Help us to know how to do this wisely and safely. And Lord, we look forward to beginning to be together again, to worship you together as one and in person as the family of God. But Lord, this morning we pray, give us our portion from the word of God. We ask that you would speak to us and minister us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us and let us hear what you would say to us. And we ask together in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You know, someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, would you say that your spiritual life is healthy? If you were to ask yourself that question, how do you know if you are experiencing a healthy spiritual life? Now, I'll be honest, I think there are lots of different ways people try and define that by their own ideas. Maybe their perspective is, well, if I'm reading my Bible still every day, if I spend some time in prayer every day, if I'm attending church, uh, you know, if I'm doing certain things to serve the Lord in some way, good works. There are lots of different ways and quantifiers. People may think about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit they're able to manifest and to operate in, and that's a wonderful thing. All of those things are fantastic. But honestly, what really is the right way to know if you have a healthy spiritual life? How does God, we might say, measure spiritual health? I think a fair answer to that is by spiritual fruitfulness. That the way God measures spiritual health is by our fruitfulness spiritually. Remember, Jesus, who was God walking on this earth in the flesh, in John 15, Jesus said this. He said to his followers, I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's what Jesus called us, chose us, and appointed us to do as his followers. Jesus said to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, and that your fruit should remain or continue. He who remains connected to me, Jesus said, bears much fruit. So our Lord Jesus, who the Bible refers to as sort of the great physician, as he diagnoses spiritual health, he's looking for spiritual fruit. 
That's the way he quantifies and diagnoses spiritual health. Spiritual fruit that's pleasing to God because it reflects God's nature and God's attributes, which we'll talk about. And spiritual fruit because it's helpful to people around us who God loves. And as they experience the good fruit of God's Spirit working in our life, they are blessed and benefited. One of the most helpful things produced in nature physically is fruit. Uh, Fruit provides many benefits to people who partake of it. Well, spiritually, the same is true as well. One of the most helpful and beneficial things in the life of God's child is the fruit of God's Spirit being produced in our lives. And this is what our passage addresses for us this morning. Remember the background again. Paul's instructing what it means in practice now, sort of the nuts and bolts of living out our Christianity. What does it really look like to live out the Christian walk? How, as followers of Jesus, are we to live in proper relationship with him? being led by his spirit. And for the sake of kind of grasping the context and flow of the instruction in this section, if you'll glance back with me to verse 16, if you would, Paul, again, in this discussion at this point, says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 17, he then said, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So Paul's been developing this idea that there are these two natures within us now as a follower of Christ who's been born again and made alive by the Spirit when we receive Jesus Christ, and there's this inward battle and conflict that goes on inside of us. There is our flesh, or what we call our sinful nature, received from Adam naturally who was the first man who sinned and rebelled against God. And there's this part of us inwardly that's inclined towards doing what's sinful and selfish and wrong. That's there from the start of life for all of us. But then when you receive Jesus Christ, you also receive then a new nature. You receive the nature of Christ, the divine nature, the spirit of the Lord himself. The Holy Spirit comes inside and now wants to take rulership inwardly. And so there's this constant battle. Am I going to let my old sin nature, my flesh rule me? Or am I going to let the spirit of the Lord who now lives inside of me have rulership and control over my life? And these two are contrary. So there's this conflict and battle that goes on inside of all of us. Paul said to us last time as we were looking together in verse 19 through 21, he said this to us. He said, now the works of the flesh, that is the sin nature, he said, they're they're evident. This is what it looks like when you're being controlled by your sinful flesh. And he mentioned adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery hatred, contentions, and jealousies, outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envy and murders and drunkenness and revelries, and then he just added the caveat, and the like, and things just like this, even if they're not mentioned in the list, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things, a life practice, continuing to do these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So in verse 19 through 21, Paul in essence says under the leading of God's spirit, this is what a life looks like that's being controlled by the flesh. If you're being ruled by your sin nature, this is what you're going to behave like. 
These are the things that will characterize when we're letting our sinful nature rule and dominate our life. And then he then says, verse 22, but. But, he's now going to say the fruit of the Spirit, because remember, he told us, walk in the Spirit so that you don't give in to the desires of your flesh. So he said, this is what it looks like when you are living in the sinful flesh. But he says now, but, and that word, but there is a key because it's a word that means despite what was just stated, which is a reality, this is what it'll be like if you live in the flesh. He's going to say, however, but there is also now the opportunity to live in another way as well, that this reality is just as true as the prior one that was described. So he says, but in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, he now says, is, and then he's going to give us a list, quantifying and describing what it looks like when we walk in close fellowship with the Spirit of God and we let the Spirit rule over us and it produces the fruit of God's Spirit in our life in contrast. Now, he's saying the child of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God can and should live differently. And we always want to remember this. There should be a distinction in the child of God from the natural way that the rest of humanity lives. There should be a distinction in the way that we're now living different than how we used to live before we were in a relationship with the Lord and we only had the option of submitting to our sin nature because that was all we knew and all we had internally. Now we have the new power of God's Spirit living within us and by the Spirit of the Lord, if God's Spirit rules over us, we can live in a completely different way because the Spirit will produce much different things in our lives. Now, before we work our way through this list together, notice with me, if you would, just the contrast in word descriptions that is purposely used by God here. He refers to, verse 19, the works of the flesh that is the behaviors and actions of the sin nature, versus the fruit, different term, the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit operating inside. Works as compared to fruit. Works speaks of efforts, things being done by a person through which you then are responsible for because they're your works, they're things that you perform. And so he describes that from our own sinful desires, we perform sinful works. We're the ones who, responding to our selfishness and our own sinfulness that we struggle with, who perform the outworkings of our flesh. So that's important to recognize. We are personally responsible for our own works of sin. We are all individually accountable for the works of exercising our sinful nature and we're responsible to God for those things. It's our work that produces sin. Now, in contrast to that, however, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is different. Notice he doesn't use the word works. He uses the word the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is the natural byproduct of healthy life happening on the inside. That is the presence of life operating within that source ultimately produces fruit. That's how it works in plant life. That's how it works with a fruit tree. That's how he's going to say it works in the spiritual life as well. It is the presence of life that produces fruit. Fruit is not manufactured by effort like works are. Fruit is not something that we can cause or control to bring forth. 
Fruit is something that is just a natural result of the presence of life and operation. As the power of life happens internally, the resulting outcome in time is the blossoming forth of fruit, is the production of fruit being developed. That DNA within, the life there, and the sap flowing without restriction produces fruit as the end result. Now, that being said, that's important as we look at this together today because we cannot personally produce the fruit of the Spirit. So be careful. You don't want to look at this list here, the fruit of the Spirit, and say, okay, this is what God's commanding because that's his fruit, so therefore I can kind of by my own self-resolve or my own works, I can manufacture more love in my life. I can produce more faithfulness in my life. I can generate more joy in my life because we're not supposed to manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. We cannot manufacture it. You and I are unable to produce it. It is the Spirit of the Lord, the life and presence of the power of the Spirit within us that ultimately brings forth the production of the fruit that God's Spirit alone produces. It's God, by his life operating within us, the life of Christ, who exercises divine power to develop this kind of fruit in my life, to develop that kind of fruit in your life as his power works freely within you as we stay more connected to the Lord. And we'll talk about that more, John 15, how we stay connected to Jesus, and that's where fruit comes from in our lives. One translation renders this portion of the verse this way. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Again, when we receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit entered inside of our life, and the Bible teaches he resides permanently inside the life of the Christian. The Holy Spirit is our internal helper. God actually gives us a part of himself, the very presence of his spirit, to dwell and live within us, to help us have relationship with him, to empower us to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so we now have the option of no longer being controlled by our sin nature, but instead yielding to the control and influence of God's spirit to help us live differently, to serve God, and to live a righteous and a godly life. And even as Paul in our prior verses gave an indication of what it looked like, in verses 19 to 21, to be controlled by the flesh, the sin nature, he now is going to say, in contrast, let me show you the evidence of what it looks like when your life is being ruled by the Spirit, when you're under the control of the Holy Spirit and his presence and power is at work. Even as a healthy apple tree produces from the life of the tree the fruit of apples, same with an orange tree, while a child of God living in healthy relationship with God will gradually begin to produce the fruit of God by his spirit flowing in our life. And it's not automatic. Fruit develops. It's gradual. It comes in time. It's something that grows. And here the Bible gives evidence now of this kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit will produce in our lives. And he mentions, of course, here in verse 22 and 23, nine, if we would, life virtues, or we might say qualities that will blossom forth in the life of the Christian when the Spirit of God is working in us and he is ruling and controlling over our lives, attitudes or traits that we'll find developing within us. 
Take note of one other thing with me as well, if you would. It's interesting that in verse 22, you notice he says, the fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. That's interesting. And the language is in the singular. It mentions fruit, and it doesn't say fruits, plural. It does not say the fruits of the Holy Spirit are. It says the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit is. Now, that's insightful because that could mean that the one real singular fruit of the Spirit of God is the very first thing mentioned, that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that then the other nine terms afterwards basically are sort of a characterization of the quality of love and the way that love manifests itself, that the genuine singular fruit of the Spirit above all else from God's perspective is love, the love of God, and that is then kind of manifested and evidenced in these different forms and kinds of being peaceful and long-suffering and kind and good and faithful, and that could be why it's in singular, the fruit of the Spirit is in the singular sense, or the singular use could be intended to maybe just imply that God being the one who produces this this fruit exclusively, that we don't produce it and no one else can cause it. Only God can produce and develop this kind of fruit in a person's life. Maybe that's why it's in the singular as well, that it is God alone exclusively who can produce this fruit as the sole individual, and then this is how the fruit appears in the nine terms that are described there. Well, with that being said, let's consider this fruit of the Spirit and what a healthy spiritual life looks like controlled by the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says there is the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that word love there is our Greek term agape, which speaks of that unconditional love that God has for you and I as people. It's a divine love. It's a unique love. It is a love by choice. That's what that term agape referred to. It's not a romantic love. It's not a family-oriented love. It's not phileo, brotherly, fond affection love. It is agape, a unique term that spoke of love that was based in decision. That is, you made a choice to love someone, a decision of your will, and it was not based upon that person's condition. It was not based upon that person's treatment of you, nor their response towards you as you seek to love and be loving towards them. It was the decision to love them out of the fact that you are loving in nature. And so you've made a decision to love them unconditionally. It's the love that God has for us. It's a love that would sacrifice personally to express love regardless of how it's treated in return. It's a love that will do what is necessary to bless and be kind without any regard of receiving anything in return. So it is a love that initiates being loving and being kind. That's why, again, when Jesus spoke about God's love for us in the world, Jesus said, God so loved the world, which keep in mind, rebelled against him, was not being submitted to him, the world was not treating God kindly, the world was not being, in a sense, attractive to God, wanting to love it, the world was in rebellion to God, but God so loved the world in that condition that he gave his one and only son out of his love. That is, he gave his absolute best 
It says that whoever would believe upon Christ wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So it's a giving love that seeks the highest good of the recipient in which it is seeking to show that love to. And God loves everyone, does he not, despite their status, despite their past, whatever their current condition is. God's love is incredibly deep and all-encompassing. No matter what we've done or how we treat him, God loves us regardless. And God continues to love us faithfully with great commitment. Now, let me just be the first to say, by way of admission, I cannot love that way. I may want to love that way, I may try and love that way, but in my own humanity, in my weakness, I cannot love that way naturally. As a weak person, as a selfish individual, I can't love without agape divine love that God has. However, the good news is, God who is love, possessing that supernatural capacity of agape love, can deposit that love into our lives supernaturally by the power of his Holy Spirit. God can produce in us what is not in us, which is to supernaturally give us his capacity to love by depositing it into our heart. Romans chapter 5 says that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's wonderful to know, God, I can't love people the way that you love people, and I can't love people maybe even the way I want to love people, but thankfully we can be encouraged that as his spirit works inside of us, God can produce his love in our hearts to give us that kind of love to exercise and express towards other people. And he does this supernaturally by a work of his spirit. That is, the Lord makes me and you a more loving person. He makes us more loving. We don't necessarily try to manufacture more love or become more loving. God makes us more loving by a powerful work of his spirit, changing our hearts giving us care and concern for people. And all of a sudden we can find we have this deep love for people that we would or could not ever naturally have. All of a sudden you find that you have this love for people inside maybe that you never had before. And God, by the power of his spirit, can deposit that love there and make a heart change. And all of a sudden we find that we start to have the same kind of love that God does maybe towards a particular person. And we know, God, this has got to be supernatural because you are giving me a love for him or a love for her that I, I just wouldn't naturally have that, but it's God's love being poured into our life and produced in our life by the Spirit. Same way God can give us a love maybe for a particular people group where we're concerned for them and we have a burden of love to do whatever we can to help. And again, what was the greatest demonstration of God's love? It was the giving of Jesus. That is the greatest demonstration. God demonstrates his love in this, that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. In this, the love of God was manifested, that God gave his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the greatest demonstration of God's love is that God gave his absolute best in giving Christ, and God showed his love fully through Jesus. Jesus was the greatest description and the greatest manifestation of the love of God as he lived it out in his flesh as a man. And how wonderful that we can begin to find that same love and compassion 
and care that Jesus had that we read about in the Gospels and we see demonstrated, we can begin to have the love of Christ within us as the Spirit of the Lord is working in our lives, developing this within us, and it begins to blossom forth in how we live, and it becomes a love of humble servanthood. A love of sacrifice, like Christ was willing to sacrifice. Jesus said in John 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Look, let's never overlook the practical reality that the fruit of love will directly influence how I treat people how you treat people and the way that you relate to people. 1 Corinthians 13, a passage many of us are familiar with, defines this agape love, this fruit of love from the Spirit, and what it will look like in our lives. In other words, when the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, is being produced in my life, it will look like something. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, this is what it will look like. So we can measure, is it happening? 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. So important for us to remember God's love, personally, my conviction, is one of the clearest indications of what condition we are in spiritually regarding right relationship with God. Because the more and more we're in right relationship with a God who is love, we will become a more and more loving person with greater love towards people in our lives and amongst us. I encourage you, read the book of 1 John. That truth is repeated continuously. Repeated continuously, that as we're in right relationship with God, we will have the love of God flowing in our life. As you're having an ongoing experience with God who's love, God's love's poured into your heart and it begins to exude from your life. In light of that, let me say this to you this morning. An unloving Christian is an unhealthy Christian. I don't care how well a person may know their Bible or what kind of prayers they can pray or how gifted they are spiritually with anointing. If the measure of God's love is missing from their life, an unloving Christian is an unhealthy Christian. And in light of that, as I ask myself, am I spiritually healthy? One of the best things to ask myself is, how am I doing in the Department of Love? How am I doing in regards to love towards other people? Well, next he says in our list here that the believer under the Spirit's influence will also manifest, secondly, he says, joy in their nature. And again, this is not just a feeling of happiness alone, being very positive or an upbeat person. That's great. Some people have that personality, and that's a blessing. This speaks of an inner gladness deep within, where you're experiencing a sense of inward delight and pleasure inwardly, and predominantly it's because you have a sense of internal pleasure and satisfaction due to enjoying the Lord. And that's where that joy comes from. 
Quite honestly, I think people who don't know Jesus and don't follow the Lord, they can experience measures of happiness periodically, but happiness comes and goes. It depends on what happens. But it's only when you know the Lord and you're experiencing the goodness of the Lord that you finally figure out what joy is. Because you may not be happy, but you can have an inward sense of pleasure and delight still because you find that fulfillment and pleasure in him. You can rejoice in the Lord. That is a spirit of celebration. You can celebrate the good things that you find in God. You can celebrate the realities of heaven. The Bible speaks of the joy in the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you start to manifest this joyfulness of spirit in your personality, a glad heart. It's kind of a spiritual optimism, if you would, of knowing that God is good, even if life is bad. Being able to know that God is going to work and you're thankful and you're glad to be a child of a great king with good privileges and a wonderful future and that allows you to experience sort of a joyful disposition that brings an uplifting attitude that can bring encouragement to others. That in a way can kind of lift or lighten the atmosphere instead of dragging it down because you're glad and you're appreciative And you're content with just the wonderful realities of being able to rejoice in the Lord. And to me, this describes someone who's just enthusiastic about the Lord. There's just an enthusiasm and a joy of rejoicing in the Lord. And again, that spiritual joy only comes from an experience with Jesus. Because as you're experiencing him, it's really hard not to be excited. Just like a couple right before they get married, you couldn't do anything to stop their joy and enthusiasm because of the love and excitement about that relationship. Well, the same happens with joy with the believer. It's experiencing Jesus that gets us enthusiastic and brings that joy of disposition into our lives. Another characterizing mark he mentions here, Going on in our list is that the fruit of the Spirit produced in us will produce peace. And that word peace there speaks of joining back together what's become separated as the result of something and that needs a restoration. Now, I think this describes two things. This fruit of the Spirit being peace is, first of all, being peaceful in our inward condition. You know, a lot of times when we go through challenges or difficulties, uh, our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings, they kind of get pulled in all different directions, and it's like a hurricane of emotions or stress, and and we feel all torn apart. And it's the peace of God that kind of puts us back together mentally and emotionally and allows us to kind of have an inward calm even when stormy things are happening. That fruit of peace lets us be at rest within to say it's well with my soul and things may be crazy circumstantially, but even if situations are difficult or frustrating or scary, I can still be at peace because there's this peace of God supernaturally that comes over my heart and mind because it's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God kind of calming us inwardly, settling us down, putting us back together instead of us falling apart emotionally and mentally. Philippians 4 speaks of how, as the result of praying and seeking God, we experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that guards our heart and mind. Again, it's the peace of God. God brings a peace inwardly 
to the soul, the heart, the mind of a person who's spending time with him, and it's a supernatural experience. It bypasses understanding, but it comes from the Spirit of God himself. Jesus in John 14 said, it's my peace that I give to you. Again, you look at Jesus in the Gospels, he never seemed upset. He always seemed peaceful and undisturbed. And he says, that same disposition of peace I have, as I live within you by my spirit, I can give you that same peaceful disposition. So I think it speaks of being peaceful in our inward condition, but I think this also refers to also just being peaceful, we might say, in our interactions with other people. That is, as we walk with the Lord and the Spirit is producing this fruit in our life, it will make us be a more peaceful person in our nature. That is, we'll be more and more of a peacemaker. The Spirit gives you a heart to try to be someone who seeks peace when there's the temptation for conflict to arise. And you, you maybe as you see conflict about to happen, it's this fruit of peace making you someone who sees conflict coming and you have a heart to try and avert conflict and maintain peace instead. It also becomes the thing, as the Spirit helps you, to pursue peaceful resolutions when conflict has already caused separation relationally. That is, as you walk in right fellowship with the Lord, and as the Holy Spirit is ruling and controlling you, if there has been some rift in a relationship, you will have a heart for making peace with people, because the Spirit of the Lord will give you that desire for restoration, because God's a God of restoration. And Jesus is the ultimate reconciler of relationships. So it's the Spirit giving you a peaceful attitude that will help you to humbly seek reconciliation because you love the Lord and love the person you want to reconcile with. And it will make you a peacemaker when you see others at odds as well. So this fruit of peace will cause us to behave in that way. Another characterizing mark of the fruit of the Spirit Produced within us, he mentions there in our list, is long-suffering. Your translation may say patience. The idea there of long-suffering or patient means in our dealings with people or in challenging situations. The picture there is you can suffer things from people for a long time, mistreatment, being hurt, being offended. For a long period, you can suffer, and yet you can still be patient with that person or with those people. It speaks of enduring mistreatment for an extended period without reacting in a negative way, or without seeking revenge or retaliation. You're willing to suffer long, to be patient, to endure. You don't manifest the short temper. We might say, you got a long fuse. You got lots of mercy and lots of grace because the Spirit of God is giving it to you. Again, what does the Bible say of God? The Bible says that God is long-suffering, that God is patient, that God is merciful. And as God is working in us, making us more like him by his Spirit helping us, we can begin to respond and relate to people patiently with long-suffering like God does with people. And how is that possible? Because I come up with some good self-discipline and I count to 10 or I walk to the under end of the house so I don't blow my fuse. No, the way that is possible is supernaturally. The reason that we can do that is because the power of the Holy Spirit is controlling us, controlling our mind, controlling our heart, giving us supernatural patience 
that enables us above and beyond our ability to be long-suffering and patient in our dealings with people, to resist reacting and to show mercy instead. Going on next in our list, he mentions another characterizing mark of the fruit of the Spirit, referring to kindness. And that speaks of how the Spirit gives us a gracious nature. We might say a sweet temperament, an attitude to be considerate, to be more thoughtful. It makes us more caring towards others and helpful. It makes us, are you ready for this? Nice. That's insightful, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit can make us more nice, make us more polite, make us more friendly and generous so that we're saying things that are kind. We're using words that are kind. We're speaking in a kind way rather than an abrasive way or a hurtful way or a critical way. We become more polite and and we speak kind words or maybe we write out kind sentiments because we want to show kindness. Or we begin to do things for other people that are thoughtful And we show acts of kindness to assist somebody or to do something that causes them to say, wow, that was really kind. And again, just the Spirit of God giving us that nature of kindness to behave in that way. Another very similar and characterizing mark he then mentions next also is the fruit of the Spirit produces in us goodness. And that word goodness there speaks of of just a good moral quality of your life. That is that we begin to care about what is good, what's wholesome, and what's right. We begin to value what's good and right to a much greater degree. And we just become kind of a sincere, wholesome person. Someone of integrity, of high moral character, just someone who is good. A lot of times we talk about the goodness of God. That God is just good in his nature. Well, this is where we're beginning to reflect God. We're becoming more like our father, like father, like son, like son, like father, because the same spiritual DNA has now been deposited into us by the Holy Spirit of that divine nature. We begin to reflect some of the goodness of God in our nature. You know, what a wonderful compliment. Sometimes we'll hear people say of someone, and hopefully they would say it of us. He is just a really good man, or she is just a really good woman. You know, that's something that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us should be something that's able to be said of us. And Paul understood. He says, I know that in me that is in my flesh, Paul said, Romans 7, nothing good dwells. Jesus said, there's only one that's good, and that's God. So the only way goodness will become a part of my life is as I let the Holy Spirit control my life and have influence over me that I will begin to become more reflective of the goodness of God. And I think the idea here was we just begin to treat people in good ways. And to me, this is very important because think of our world, folks. So many people in the world treat people horribly. The world treats people and unsafe people treat each other very bad. And God wants to work in our lives where we start to actually treat people good. That is that we could maybe distinctively be different as his children, and we can actually be those who treat people well. That we treat people in good ways, showing the goodness and kindness of God, being generous and helpful to benefit others. Another characterizing mark, he mentions the end of verse 22 there, the fruit of the Spirit produces in us faithfulness. And that word faithfulness there speaks of describing someone who's reliable and dependable. 
someone who's trustworthy. They demonstrate loyalty in their commitments to people and commitments to things that they do, being known as someone who can be relied upon, faithful, someone who's trustworthy and dependable. Indeed, would we not all agree when we look at the Bible and we get to know God, God is incredibly faithful. God's very reliable. He's incredibly dependable. So as his children, beginning to reflect him more and more as his spirit controls more of our lives, we should begin to reflect the nature of our God and we should begin to become people who become more and more faithful. As his spirit is working in us, he will cause us to become a more faithful person. The spirit will empower us to be more reliable to become a more dependable person, being faithful to things that we commit to, being faithful to things that we do, that we follow through, that we're reliable, exercising faithfulness with the things that we say, that we're trustworthy, that when we say something, we we mean it and we follow through with it. We honor and keep our word, being faithful and performing things that we do when we're doing some work or some task. We do it faithfully. We do it thoroughly and very faithful. A person living under the control of the Spirit of God will be a person who is characterized by faithfulness in their lifestyle. One of the characterizing marks of the Holy Spirit controlling a life is someone who is demonstrating faithfulness. And how wonderful, because maybe that's a struggle or a weakness in our life. Well, the Holy Spirit can empower us to be faithful. He can enable us to become more reliable, more dependable. Maybe we failed in this area in the past. Well, God can help us to become a more faithful person. Maybe we find ourselves struggling to keep being faithful in a situation. Or we're struggling. I don't know how I can remain loyal. It's hard. Well, maybe you can't do it on your own. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can produce faithfulness in you. He can give you the power to remain loyal, to remain committed to remain dependable and not to give up or to pull out, but to finish and be faithful in that situation. Another characterizing mark here, the fruit of the Spirit, he mentions going on in verse 23, is gentleness, which refers to just tenderness and sensitivity. We might say it's the opposite of things like being harsh or forceful or stern in attitude. Someone who is not gentle is someone who's just, they're kind of always hurting people. The way that they talk, the way they behave, they just have a tendency to to just always be harming people. The person who is gentle is one who's sensitive and compassionate, like Jesus himself, who was very gentle in his dealing with people. We display the same gentleness of Christ, the meekness of having even power and authority under control and exercising gentleness. The term there in the Greek actually refers to anything that provides soothing, healing, and helpful benefit to relieve a struggle. Almost like a salve or a medicine to take away a sore and to give soothing relief. That's the idea of this word gentleness, that the Spirit makes us become more gentle to where we bring a soothing benefit to people's lives. We're not abrasive. We're not someone who's harsh or cruel. We become more careful about how we think in the way that we treat people. We're a little bit more considerate and sympathetic, not being rough or careless or just kind of unthoughtful towards other people's feelings or situations. But we begin to gently guide and realize, like Jesus, 
Look, people need to be dealt with in gentleness, being sympathetic, thinking about other people who may be different than ourselves and just gentle in the way we deal and interact. So that fruit of gentleness characterizes the Christian under the control of the Spirit. And finally, in our list, verse 23, another characterizing mark of the fruit of the Spirit we read is self-control. Self-control, that is the ability by the Holy Spirit's power to show restraint over oneself, to be able to restrain and regulate our passions, our desires, our emotions, to be able, by the power of the Spirit, to exercise self-discipline, and we might say, to say no to ourselves, to have the ability, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to say no to myself and not live out of control, but to demonstrate self-control. The Holy Spirit can take a life, and I have seen it many times, that is out of control, or has very little control, and completely change it. And totally change a person and empower a person to have self-control in their thoughts, in their speech, in their behaviors, in their desires. He can work inside of us to give us self-control. And that especially pertains, listen, to the sinful tendencies that we have towards the flesh. Oh, I don't know how to overcome my flesh. Well, listen, I can tell you the Holy Spirit can give to you self-control. I just don't have control. That's not true. To a degree, you don't have control, but if the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you and you let him rule over you, he can give you the power to exercise self-control. A life lived under the influence of the Spirit will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's important to connect the dots. That means this. If you are struggling with self-control... If you're struggling with self-control regarding sin or any area of your life that you're struggling with self-control, your real struggle is this. You're not being ruled by the Holy Spirit. Because when you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, he will produce self-control in your life. Well, notice he ends our section by saying there, and against such, that is these nine things mentioned, there is no law. That is, there's no law morally or spiritually in which these attitudes don't fulfill. Those things, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all those things fulfill the law of Moses. There is no law morally or spiritually that could help you to live better than just living under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. There's no law that would be better than that or would be against living under the Spirit instead because that's living under a higher law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ who's empowering you to be more like Jesus. Because when you read verses 22 and 23 in that list, that's a very fitting description of Jesus. And when the law of the Spirit of life in Christ is producing by the Holy Spirit fruit that makes you more like Jesus, there's nothing that would be better than that, than just letting the Holy Spirit control you and produce that in your life. You know, consider, if you would, one other aspect of this fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, just generally, is always produced for the benefit of others. And follow what I mean by that. No fruit tree produces fruit to partake of itself. So the orange tree doesn't produce oranges for itself. The orange tree produces the fruit for others to partake of, for others to benefit from. Well, the same applies spiritually. The fruit of the Spirit truly isn't first and foremost, I don't believe, for us. 
God wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life and your life for others to partake of, for others to benefit from. Because think of it, if I'm more loving, others get to partake of a more loving husband, a more loving father, a more loving pastor, a more loving friend, a more loving Christian, a more loving person. That benefits them if I'm more loving. If I'm more joyful, that benefits others. It's much nicer being around someone who's got a little bit of joy rather than someone who's just miserable. If I'm more faithful, that benefits others. My faithfulness blesses and benefits others because my faithfulness, they're getting to partake of my dependability and my reliability. So this fruit of the Spirit is not first and foremost just for us. It's for others to be able to enjoy as they live with someone who's manifesting the fruit of the Spirit and this fruit's being developed in their life. They begin to enjoy, wow, this is really pleasant fruit in my spouse's life. This is really pleasant fruit in my co-worker's life. And they get to enjoy the benefits of these things. Well, finally, how does that work out practically? If I want to experience fruitfulness spiritually, do I have a part in the process? I would say yes to some degree, and it is simply this, stay connected to Jesus. You stay connected to Jesus and live dependent upon him. Listen to Jesus' words. He says this in John 15, Abide in me, that means remain connected, abide, remain connected to me, Jesus says. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide, remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Jesus says, we are like branches. Branches don't generate sap. Branches are connected to a vine, to a source, through which the source of life sends the sap through the branch as nothing other than a channel, and then fruit is produced on the other side. The branch has one job. Stay connected. Stay connected. You stay connected, you stay attached, and the sap flows and the fruit is produced through the branch. The same is true with Jesus. He said, I'm the vine. You're just branches. You stay connected to me. You remain connected to me, Jesus says, and you will bear fruit. What fruit? Spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, because it is the life of Christ and it is the power of the sap of the Holy Spirit flowing through our life that produces this fruit. You never see fruit trees out in the field straining or sweating to produce fruit. So let me encourage you as a Christian, don't strain to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your flesh. Stay connected to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. Remain close to Jesus. And He, by the power of the Spirit, will produce this fruit more and more in your life. Would you pray together with me?